Thanks, Daniel. Excuse me. My name is Ron Cool, and I am one of the pastors here. I want to welcome all of you here. We're going to continue um, to to study the book of Genesis. All right, we've been doing this uh, off and on for several years, but this summer especially, we've been working um, through the section that deals with Abraham. All right, and uh, we're going to come to what I think is probably the second most difficult story today uh, that we're going to look at today, and, and maybe a week or two from now. Um, there's one more that's a little more difficult, but this is really one of the most difficult and challenging stories that we read about in the Abraham cycle of stories. Because it's got to do with the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, with God bringing judgment on that place. And that's always a challenge, I think, for us to think about that and to try think, to think clearly about that. So as we do that, again, I, context is so important. What's going on? How are things fitting together? And so, again, I want to just kind of have us go back and remember that God created the world good, right? God created the world good, but because of the sin of Adam and Eve and all of us somehow in them, the world God created good is now broken. All right, it's broken, and God has done a number of things. He's been working uh, the flood and so on, the Tower of Babel. He's done some things, but now in chapter 12 of Genesis, he has decided that he is going to work through one person, all right, one family, one nation, all right? He decides to work through that one person. Of course, that person is Abraham. God is going to work through Abraham to bring his grace to the world, and ultimately, God's purpose is to bless the world through Abraham, all right? That's going to be key for us to think about today. So Abraham's, Abraham's children and Abraham himself will be God's presence in this world, and their purpose will be to bless the world by making God known. Again, similar to what we are called to be as God's children. As God's children in this world, as people who know Jesus Christ, we are called to bring the presence of Christ into our community, into our neighborhoods, into our homes, into our schools, and we are called to bless others, and this goes really to the beginning of what God said to Abraham, all right? Genesis 12, verse 3. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, all right? So that's the deal. The world is broken, but God is going to work through Abraham. And I want to give you an image of this that I think will help us understand what's going on with Sodom and Gomorrah, all right? So I want you to picture it this way. Again, God created everything as good. And, and when we think about sin this morning, I want you to think about it as an infection, okay? That sin is like an infection. And what happens when Adam and Eve sin is the world becomes infected with sin. And it spreads and it covers over everything. And, 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 and you know what it's like to have an infection, right? I mean, all of us probably at one time or another have had an infection. In fact, what I want to do is have you imagine this morning that the tip of your finger is infected. Now, I don't, this is not the grossest picture, so I hope you're okay with it. But right, this is an infected finger, right? Bacteria gets in there, and it moves around, and it starts to eat away at it. It starts to destroy it. It starts to, to, to and that's what sin does, right? When sin enters into this world, sin is like that bacteria that destroys, that kills, that takes away the life. And and so sin is like that infection, and it has infected the entire world. Now, if you have an infected finger like that, what do you need? Antibiotics, right? You need antibiotics to fight against the infection. Well, God's grace is the antibiotic that that can bring new life to this world, all right? So the world is infected. God's grace is that antibiotic. And who Abraham is, is Abraham is a carrier of God's grace. God's plan is to put Abraham, it was received God's grace by faith. Uh, again, ultimately that grace is Jesus Christ. But okay, Abraham is now a carrier of God's grace. He's experienced God's grace. And so it's really small, but we'll put Abraham there, all right? God's plan is that through Abraham and his children and his children's children, the influence will grow and the infection will, will be moved back. The, the, the antibiotic will work and, and it will spread further and further and further. Now, 
Abraham was not a perfect carrier. Israel was not a perfect carrier. And so it had to come to Jesus Christ to be that perfect carrier and so on. But, but in a sense, this is God's plan, all right? It's still God's plan today. The world is still infected by sin. You and I, if we, are, if we know Jesus Christ, we have the antibiotics, so to speak. And God calls us to bring the antibiotic into those places in, around us, all right? That's the image, I think, that, that we need to work with this morning. Because if we have that image, all right, again, your finger's infected, the antibiotic is there, the world, all right, you got that picture? The problem is this. The problem is this. Sin is very grace-resistant. You might have heard of, like, super bacteria, right, that are resistant MRSA, right? I mean, no, bacteria, no antibiotics attack it. It doesn't, it, it, it's really hard to, to kill. It's really hard to stop. And that's the way sin is. Sin is grace-resistant. When we are in sin, when we are against God, um, when we are outside of Christ, we don't want to receive this, this, this inoculation. We don't want to receive the antibiotic. We, we're resistant to it. And, and it, places, it places that resistance is stronger. And, and, and in people, that resistance is stronger. It changes around. And, and here's where we're going to start to get to, to Sodom and Gomorrah, Okay. This is what, what we have to recognize, and this is the, the challenge. I think one of the big challenges is that sometimes things get so bad, infections get so bad, that God needs to cut out the infected area. And that's where we start to struggle, right? Again, let's think about that. Let's go back to your little finger there that's got an infection. What you do is you get antibiotics. But let's imagine that the antibiotics don't work. The antibiotics, are, this is such a resistant strain, and, the, and it keeps eating away at it, and your finger goes from red to yellow to black, and it's dying. And at some point, and some of you can probably have had this experience of either losing a finger or a toe or something, at some point, in the extreme measure, a doctor may well say, we need to cut that out. We need to cut off the tip of your finger in order to save the rest of your body. We need to do this. This is so infected. It is so bad. It, it, it is so... <laughs> against God, so to speak. It is so bad. you got to cut it off, all right? You've got you to get rid of it. And, and again, like I say, I know some of you have, have lost feet or hands or limbs or whatever because the infection was so bad it had to get cut off, okay? Now, again, let's make it clear. One day all infection will be judged. One day all infection will be judged. But what we're going to see today, again, with Sodom and Gomorrah is that there are times... There are times when God enacts judgment before the final judgment, what I want to call like a surgical removal. Um, and, and, and that's what we see happening with Sodom and Gomorrah. So does that image make sense? Right, the world is inflected by sin. There, there are places where that infection is so powerful, so strong, that, that God comes and says, you know what, this is, I've got to do something about this in order to save the rest of the world. I'm going to have to, I'm going to, have to let this... In, in a sense, it's interesting because think about it. If you use the image, if you cut that finger up, the bacteria, in a sense, gets its way, right? But once it's cut off from other living flesh, it dies because it, it can't live on its own. That's the way sin and judgment, in a sense, God doesn't have to destroy anything in judgment. God just says, fine, have it your way. Because once it's away from the life of God, it's gone. It's dead. It's destroyed. It's, it's... Anyway, so... That's the picture. That's what's going to happen with Sodom and Gomorrah. And, and as I work through this and, and, and so on, I think that there are, there are kind of two questions. Um, one is maybe more ours. One is clearly Abraham's. But I think they're both there for Abraham as well. First question that, that I, I want to think about that I've been reflecting on the last couple of weeks is, okay, at what point does the infection and sin get so bad that God has to cut it out? 
I mean, what's, what's the tipping point? Where, where is it? What, what is it that, that God says, okay, this is no longer, right? Again, when, you're, when you think about that finger, you're going to want to wait as long as you can, right? You're not going to say, oh, it's got an infection, let's lop. There's going to be a point where the doctor says, we don't have a choice. Where is that point? Can we identify it? Can we know where it is? Where is that? And, 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 and what caused that and so on? And, and then, again, a second question that Abraham's going to raise for us, and, and he does this, I think, fairly clearly, is, well, what about the healthy cells or righteous people in the area that needs to be cut out? Are they just collateral damage? Again, all right, so you got an infection in your finger. The fact is, if, if, the, if the surgeon cuts it off, all right, says the, the infection is gone, the surgeon is, the surgeon is not going to be able to just do such a, a removal that only the bad, bad cells are removed, now, I don't have a love affair with every cell in my finger, so I don't really care that much if he gets some good cells, right? But if that's my brother or my nephew, if that's a person, what about the righteous person, the good person, the godly person in the midst of that difficult situation? Those are the two questions, all right? What's the point? And, and what, about, what about that righteous person is there? What, and, and as we try to live righteously in the presence of a world that has sin in it, what about us? All right, so let's take a look and let's go back. We've got to start last week, okay? Uh, if you weren't here, that's all right. But, but it's a story where Abraham and Sarah are out by Hebron, and Abraham entertains, shows hospitality to three visitors. We know from the beginning that one of them is God and two of them are angels. Abraham doesn't know it at the beginning, but I'm wondering if by the end he doesn't have an idea that at least these folks are very special. They told Abraham and Sarah, and we talked about this last week, that, that they would have a son in less than a year, and Sarah laughed a laugh of bitterness, and then when Isaac is born, she laughs a laugh of joy. This is what happens, all right? 18 verse 16, the text uh, starting for today. When the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. All right, here we are. They're in Hebron. They, they've just had a meal, uh, and we saw it's a very good meal. They've just uh, washed their feet. They've rested up a little bit. They've sat in the shade of the great trees of Mamre there by Hebron, and now they get up, and they look towards Sodom. They look towards Sodom. You can see Hebron is kind of up on some hills, right? You can see that it's up above, and, and, and Sodom is down low. So you could look down at Sodom. Now, again, I've been saying Sodom is here. It might be down there. It, that's fine. I, we don't know where Sodom was, okay? But it, it, what happens is these guys stand up, and they look that way, and then, and then they start to walk. And Abraham walks with them. And, and what happens next in the text is really interesting because we get a picture of God talking to himself. We get a picture of God thinking something through. God is going, and God knows what God's going to do. God knows that he's going to, going to call judgment down on Sodom and Gomorrah. God knows he's going to do that. And, and his question is, well, here, here's what, he, what happens. Then the Lord said, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Should I, should I let Abraham know what's going to happen to Sodom? I, 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 Abraham will surely become a great and powerful nation. And again, those words, all the nations on earth will be blessed through him. All right, Abraham is my person in this place. And in some ways, I think God is saying he needs to know how important it is that he brings the antibiotic, that he brings the blessing, that he brings the presence of Christ, because where that isn't there, the presence of God in his case, but, but where that isn't there, this is what can sometimes happen. So God is saying, do I, do I need to tell Abraham? For I've chosen him, verse 19, so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just, so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised. God says, you know what, I did. He is my partner in this. And so God tells Abraham what he's planning on doing. Then the Lord said, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah 
is so great and their sin is so grievous. They, things are so bad there. The infection is so strong. They have reached a tipping point. And, and it's interesting, again, the outcry. Uh, victims probably crying out, those who've been oppressed, those who, but also creation itself. Paul talks about creation moaning. We got to recognize that, that, that when we sin, there's, there's a cry that goes out to God because it, it's breaking things again. It's damaging things again, even if it's just damaging ourselves. But the cry goes out to God, and God said, I have heard that, and it has it is just reached that point. It is so grievous. It is so loud. It is, it is so big and so great. And God says that I will. It's interesting. First thing he says, I'll go down and see if what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. Now, God knows everything. He really doesn't necessarily need to go look at Sodom. But again, I want you to recognize God's heart is not one that says, well, judgment. God, and, and, and this is going to be one of the main points. God is looking for every way to give Sodom as much time as possible. God wants to go down there and say, i got to be sure about this. Is there anything else? Is there any way I can give them more time? I mean, if it's not, I will know, and I won't have to bring judgment. But the, the obvious other side of that is if it is, then, then they will bring and they experience my judgment. I will bring that judgment to them. The question, again, one of the first ones that I, that I said was a main question, the question that I think many of us have, and, and it's important that we get this right, and please, please, please listen to me carefully in this and, and all the way through. So what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah that was so bad? What was it that made Sodom worthy of this judgment? What was it that made them so far beyond hope that God said, I, I need to do this surgical strike, I need, I need to remove this? The fact of the matter is we're not told exactly and clearly in Genesis, okay? What we read is, again, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin is so grievous, all right? That's what we, that's what we read there, is that, that whatever it is, the sin was just really, really bad. And at one level, that's what we can say, okay? Now, we get some hints in chapter 19 and some other clearer words in a couple of other places, and I want to look at those a little bit, okay? And again, please... Because of the, you'll understand, I think, as I get into this, but either listen to me well or don't listen at all. But don't go part way on me because you're going to, I don't want, if, if, and if you think I say something wrong, talk to me about it because I want to make sure you're hearing what I'm saying here, okay? So Genesis 19 provide, uh, 19.5 provides an example, I want to suggest, of sin in Sodom. And, and again, this one has become really significant, and I think you'll recognize why um, in the church, and I think we have to question whether it's, it's, it's as significant as we, as we make it. What happens is, okay, these, these two angels, God's going to stay and talk to Abraham. The two angels are going to go down to Sodom, and, and Lot is going to find them, all right? Nephew Lot, nephew Lot of Abraham is, is there in Sodom. He's going to find them. He's going to bring them into his home. He's going to show them hospitality, just like Abraham showed them hospitality the day before. Now Lot is going to show them hospitality. When the sun goes down, what we're told is that all the men of, the, of, the, of Sodom, all the men, young and old, it says, all the men gathered around Lot's house, and they said this. They called to Lot, where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us so that we can have sex with them. Lot in verse 6 says, do not do this wicked thing. So what we have here, this is, this is clearly a wicked thing, and this is part of what is wrong with Sodom. But the question we have to ask, and there are going to be two things you need to hear clearly here, but the question we have to ask is, okay, what is it that's the wicked thing? 
What is it that the wicked thing? These men are gathered outside of, of Lot's house, and they say, bring these people out so that we can have sex with them. And I think we have to recognize that specifically, specifically what the, the sin of Sodom here is, and it's not the only one, and we'll talk about that more, but specifically what it is here is, is homosexual rape, okay? These are males saying, send these guys out here because we want to rape them. We want to violate them. We want to show them what we do here in this town, all right? And, and so now, here's where it becomes significant for us to, to think clearly. Because one of the things that's happened in the church is that many people in the Jewish tradition and in the Christian tradition have said that the key word here is homosexual. And they said, you see, the key sin of Sodom was homosexuality. And that's what the issue is. And Sodom was destroyed. Sodom was destroyed because it was full of homosexuals. And that's part of the reason that I think historically the church has said, oh, homosexuality is a lot worse than any other sin. Homosexuality is much worse than anything. And, and that's why God destroyed Sodom, because it, it had so many homosexuals in it. That's what it was about. Fails to recognize what some other people point out. And, and, and again, sometimes they only look at this side. Other people say the homosexual part is not the deal at all. It's, it's the rape that was significant. It was the violation of these guys. It was the violence. It was the destruction. That's what the problem was. It was was that. Rape is the problem. That's why why God was so angry with Sodom, because they were violent, because they raped, because they attacked these guys. This is not... Now, hear me clearly. What we know, what we know from Genesis 19, verse 5, is that homosexual rape is clearly wrong, okay? Okay? homosexual rape is clearly a wicked thing. And that's what we can know for sure from this. Now, there are other passages that address other places about rape, of heterosexual rape and other kinds of rape, and rape is clearly wrong. Now, again, there are other passages that address the question of homosexuality, and I just I don't want to get into all of that, but to say my reading of those texts is indeed that God calls homosexuals to celibacy, okay, to, to not express that if you have same-sex attraction, it's called to celibacy, that acting on homosexual urges, in, in my understanding of Scripture and, and our denomination as well, is that it is a sin, okay? But this passage does not lift it up as a special sin. This passage does not make it any worse than any other sin, okay? And, and so I want us to be very clear on that because this passage has been used to say we get to get really angry at all the homosexuals. It's worse to be a homosexual than to be an adulterer. What? God, you don't, won't find that in Scripture anywhere. It's worse to be a homosexual than to be greedy. Uh-uh. No, friends, <laughs> we've misused this. And people said, that's it. That was the only sin of Sodom. No, it wasn't. Okay, And the specific one was not just homosexual activity. The specific one is homosexual rape. And we need to be honest about that. Again, I'm not saying the Bible doesn't have other things to say about it. But don't use this passage. And don't turn this passage into saying it was special. That this was exactly why. And God hates this sin so much more than any other. Now, he might hate homosexual rape more than a lot of other sins. But I think he hates rape more than all sorts of things. I mean... I think we all do, right? So, and, and so that's the first thing. We've got to recognize that the, 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 the wickedness is a homosexual rape. And, and there are other places we need to go to, to deal with other questions, all right? And, and let's recognize as well that this is an example of the sin of Sodom, not the sole cause of her being judged. 
Again, we've gotten that wrong. We've said this is what the only reason that God judged them was because there was homosexuality or homosexual rape or they were all this. And so therefore, God is much more likely to destroy San Francisco than Grand Rapids. No, this is just one example, and let me show you. Because what we have in Genesis 19.5, I think, I think, again, it's don't do this wicked thing. This is an example of sin in Sodom, okay? And we can clearly say homosexual rape is wrong, and, and that's an example of the sin in Sodom. But, but look at what other things we see. In other places, we see references to why Sodom was destroyed, okay? The Bible gives us other references to why Sodom was destroyed. And, and I think one of the reasons that we like to focus on the homosexual aspect for many of us is then we say, well, that's not one I struggle with. So they're bad, and, and I don't have to deal with it. And God doesn't hate my sin as much as he hates their sin. But let's look at two passages, Jeremiah 23, 14, and Ezekiel 16, 49, and 50. They talk more directly about the sins of Sodom. Again, that's not even saying this is why God destroyed them. This is just something that happened, I think, to illustrate what was wrong there. Let's start with Genesis, uh, Jeremiah excuse me, 23, 14, and let's start at the bottom there, okay? Because God is speaking here, and he's describing the prophets, but also the people of Jerusalem, and he's saying they are all like Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah, okay? This is God saying these, are, these people, they remind me of Sodom, and everybody knew that when God, Sodom needed to be cut out. So, so this is, you know, saying, so what was it? Then let's go to the top. And among the prophets of Jerusalem, I have seen something horrible. They commit adultery. Commit adultery, again. He doesn't say, well, there was homosexuality going around. That's what, made, I see homosexuality. No, it's adultery. They live a lie, hypocrisy. Why did God judge Sodom? He saw adultery, hypocrisy, and they strengthened the hands of evildoers. Those who are supposed to be calling for justice are actually taking the side of the oppressors. In this case, again, the priests in Jerusalem were taking the, the folks who were oppressing others and, 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 and saying, it's a fine what you do. God loves you. God blesses you. Keep the offerings coming. That's what God said is like Sodom, okay? That's like Sodom, okay? It's, it wasn't just one thing. More clear even as Ezekiel 16, 49, 50. What, what we're going to end up with is a is a basket list, okay? Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant. And now all of a sudden I have to worry because I might struggle with arrogance. They were arrogant, overfed. They ate too much of really rich food and unconcerned. They were haughty, arrogant, proud, and did detestable things. Again, it's, it's, it's economic stuff there, right? They didn't care about the poor. They were overfed. It's economic stuff, but it's also, I think, detestable things, lewd things is used later on in that passage of saying it's, it's, there were also just all kinds of perversions, okay? It was economic. It was sexual. It was all of these things together. So it, what was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah that was so bad, you got arrogance, pride, defiance. I, I, I want to suggest hypocrisy is listed, and I'm not sure this is a complete list, but, but self-indulgence. Not caring for the poor. Not caring for the poor. Again, when, when Ezekiel lists what was wrong with Sodom, he mentions this clearly, okay? Not caring for the poor. He mentions sexual sins. Again, I think we get that from 19, Genesis 19. Uh, adultery, um, homosexual rape, violence. Okay, all of these things are there. This is what it was. And as I looked at this list, I thought, you know what? These are not completely unique sins. If I look at that list, if I, if I circle around that, I think you can find some of those in West Michigan. 
Now, I'm not saying that West Michigan is as bad as Sodom. Please. It's, it, I, again, God has not done. I'm not saying that. But I am saying we have to recognize that I think the sin that was in Sodom was not necessarily unique in its type. Okay? What made it unique was not that it was its type. What made it unique, what made it so bad, I want to suggest it's, it's the intensity of the sinning. It was the, the celebration of the sinning. It was the, the open defiance of God in sinning. That, that somehow it was not a type, but it was an amount. And, and, and we don't get a clear answer, okay, of, of where that is. But, but do recognize, and, and this is really, I think, what, what we have to understand, is there is a point where God says enough, that Sodom and Gomorrah have reached the tipping point, and God says enough. And there is a time where God does that before the final judgment. He did it with Sodom and Gomorrah. Does he do it today? I don't know. You know, I mean, we got to be really careful because as soon as we say, yeah, you see, that person got killed, and that was because God, they were, they were beyond salvation, and they did that because there are some really good people who get killed. And, I, and th- we got to be really careful. I know that God says enough. And again, ultimately, God judges only only to save others, only because, again, it is so harsh that God says, so there's something there about the intensity of it. There's something there about the depth of it. And God says, you know what? Judgment has to come, and we need to recognize that. And, and, and I think, again, Abraham needs to recognize that. Uh, as we started our worship, you know, Steve led us in thinking about, about being the light in the darkness, about being in God's people in this world. Friends, it's not that the stakes are low talking about eternal destinies here. If we are to be God's antibiotic in an infected world, friends, we want to be the best we can be. We want to do the most that we can do to bring God's presence into this world, to bring healing into this world, because at some point God is going to say, fine, have it your way, and God will pull back his hands of protection, and the infection will just kill itself and destroy itself and eat itself up. All right, God, that's judgment. That's, again, like I say, God, God doesn't, in a sense, doesn't have to ever send judgment. He just pulls his hand back, and, and, and sin destroys itself. Sin eats on itself, and that's what was going on in, in Sodom. And, and, and one other thing I want to kind of say in thinking about it, I don't think that we would have necessarily looked at Sodom and said it was, I think everybody knew it was the place where you went and did bad things. But sin is attractive, friends. I mean, Sodom was the place where what happened there stayed there, and there's something about us that likes those places. And we want to say, God, keep me out of those places because I want to be the best witness I can be, all right? So that's, that's uh, uh, we don't know. I, I wish I could say, yep, it was, it was uh, the sin level was 97.6 on the Ron Cool scale, um, and he'll say we're only at about a 35, so we got a lot of time. No, we don't know exactly. But it was somehow, it was clear. I, I don't think there was any question about this. All right, then the Lord said, let's get, get moving again here. Then the Lord said, um, the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see if what they have done. If not, I will know. All right, then, and I got the reference wrong in here. I just noticed it. It's not 1922, it's 1822. The men turned away and went towards Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord, okay? So they're all standing there. These two guys, the angels go to Sodom, but uh, Abraham and God stand here. God has shared his heart with Abraham, and now Abraham is thinking. He's looking at Sodom, and he's thinking, I think, about his nephew. His nephew Lot is in Sodom, and Sodom is about to get destroyed. What's going to happen to Lot? So Abraham turns to God. 
Then Abram approached him, God, and, and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Um, come on, what about those who are good? And again, think about it. If the doctor has to cut off your infected finger, he's going to cut off some healthy cells. But it's different. What about righteous cells? What about righteous people? Will God sweep away? God, is that fair that they get destroyed along with everybody else? What if there are 50 righteous people? What if there's one shot of antibiotic, 50 strong, 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? Far be it, God, far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. Far be it from you, God. Will not the judge of all earth do right? God, can't you do something about this? God, and, and, and the question is, what about righteous Lot, my nephew? What about his wife? What about his daughters? What about any others? What about people who've been influenced by Lot? Now, we need to pull back a second here. And if you've never heard these stories before, if you're not very familiar with them, this is a place where you have an advantage, okay? Because for those of us who have heard them, and I conclude myself in this, because this I've not read this this way, and I think it's... I've, those of us who know this story, we've made an assumption about Lot that I think is wrong. And I'll show you where I, it, the Bible tells me it's wrong. But we've made an assumption about Lot and why he's in Sodom and what's happening in Sodom, and it's not right. You see, for me... And I've taught this, I, I'm sorry to say, but I've taught this, and it's nowhere really clearly said in Scripture. But, but as, as Lot, Lot leaves Abraham, and he, and he chooses the better land, and, and, and that might be a little bit questionable there. But then what happens is Lot moves next to Sodom, and then Lot moves into Sodom, and then Lot takes a leadership position in Sodom. And, 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 and what I've been taught that is, and what I've said that is, I have to confess that, is that as, as, as Lot gets further and further into Sodom, he is getting further and further away from God. Right? He's getting more and more caught up in the wickedness of this city. He is getting more and more caught up in this, and Lot is walking further and further away from God. So there's a part of me that says, what do you mean your righteous nephew, Lot? He's not so righteous. He's been caught up in this. Lot is there, and he's a part of Sodom. He's moved into Sodom. He's been overcome by Sodom, all right? Second Peter 2, I've read these words and they didn't register until the last two weeks. I will just confess that to you. Second Peter 2, starting at verse 6, okay? Peter is talking to people who are living in a very difficult situation, a very evil culture, a culture that is very challenging to them, and he's trying to say God can carry you through this. God can carry you through this. And he talks about Noah in the flood. And then he talks about Sodom and Gomorrah. Second Peter 2, verse 6. If he, God, condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, all right, so God brought judgment there. And if he, God, rescued Lot, a what kind of man? A righteous man who was enjoying, no, who was distressed, by the depraved conduct of the lawless for that, oh, here we get it again, righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Why did I never notice this before? Why did I not get this before? I mean, Peter says, Lot in Sodom is God's presence. That Lot there is righteous. That Lot was not participating in the sinful activities. That Lot was distressed and destroyed by them. And I think we have to recognize that Lot, as, as somebody who is a righteous person, who, like his uncle Abraham, has put his faith in God, that at one level, whether it was terribly consciously or not, but Lot was, was seeking to be an antibiotic in Sodom. 
He was seeking to bring God's presence. He was seeking to bring God's grace. He was seeking to show people a different way. Lot was not getting... Again, look at it. I mean, he was tormented in his righteous soul. He was distressed by the... Lot was there trying to say, and he became a leader, trying to say, people, there is a different way. Doing, in a sense, exactly what we are called to do. Doing what the people that Peter was talking about were called to do, to be God's presence in that place. And so when God says, what about 50? He said, God, there's some antibiotic in that finger. Is there enough? What if there are 50 righteous people in that city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare it, the place for the sake of 50 righteous people in it? And the Lord says, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Again, let's pull back a second. Because this story, again, I, I, I feel like reading it slowly has helped me a lot. Because I think, again, what, what many of us have kind of saw this as is God is the sheriff. Says, Abram, and I don't know why God, when he judges, becomes the sheriff from the west. But Abram, got to go down there. And boys, got to wipe them out. And I'm going to do it quick. And I'm going to do it well. And God's angry and he's ticked and he's going to go down and kill them all. Abram says, oh, no, 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 God, please, stop. Let me, is there, can we, can, can we find 50 people? And, and God kind of reluctantly says, well, I suppose... Suppose if there's 50, then i got to keep my guns in my holster. Don't get to kill them all. That's kind of how many of us have read this. That, that Abram here is bargaining with God, negotiating with God. Where else in Scripture do you see God having that kind of a heart? No place. That is never God's heart. And, 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 and the problem with why, why that resonates with us and why Abraham does this is, I think, again, we think we're more loving than God. Have you ever said or heard somebody say, well, if I was God, I would not have allowed the Holocaust. If I was God, I would have not allowed that baby to die. If I was God, I would not have allowed this to happen. If I was God, and what we're really saying is I'm more loving than God. No, you're not. God is not some sheriff going, can't wait to get to Sodom. Boom. No, God is reluctant. And when he says, if I find 50 righteous people in the city of Sodom, I think we've got to understand that what God really means is I will gladly I will with great joy put the guns back. I do not want to do that. So I will gladly not destroy this city. That's God's heart. God is not one who is looking to judge as quickly as he can. God's heart, and we see it over and over again, is one that says, if I have to, I will. But I want to wait as long as I can. And so this is about Abraham learning about God's heart, not God saying, hmm, I never thought of that. God has thought about it. Now, I'm sorry. We're going to take a couple more minutes here. So, but I, we're, not, we're almost done, really. Um, one of the questions I had all week, and, and just in case you're wondering, how many people lived in Sodom? Right? I mean, is this 50 out of 100? Um, we don't know. And we, since we don't know where Sodom was located, we can't say, well, the city of this side, they had this many people. But it was a large city. It was the center of commerce. So just so that we can kind of get an idea, I'm going to guess, and this is way on the low end of, of anything would be 1,000 people. So we're talking about 5%. 50 people would be 5%, all right? So 95 wicked, 5%. God says, no problem, man. No problem. And let's go on now. Then Abram spoke up again. Now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, though I am nothing but dust and ashes, what if the number of the righteous is five less than 50? Will you destroy the whole city for lack of five people? If I find 45 there again, I'm, I'm gladly not destroy it. But again, Abram's like, oh, God, he, he has this picture that we do. Oh, you're so angry about everything. Once again, he spoke to him. What if only 40 are found there? So for the sake of 40, no problem. 
4%, I can work with that. I can give him more time. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak. What if only 30 can be found there? He said, I won't do it for 30. No problem, man. You've got to understand my heart better. Abraham said, now that I have been so bold as to speak to the Lord, what if I only find 20 can be found there? So for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. Then he said, may the Lord not be angry, but let me speak just once more. What if only 10 can be found there? 1%. I mean, the low. Honestly, if I had to bet any money, I, no, I would never bet money because that would be wrong. But I mean, I would guess 0.1%, one out of 1,000. What if there's only one, 10 people? Is that enough? And God says, of course. If for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. You see, this is what we, I think this story wants us to know is that God's desire is to give Sodom as much time as he can. God's desire is not to pull out the pistol and shoot Sodom as soon as he can. God's desire, he, he has to, because again, he loves us, and he doesn't want to live, us to live in an infected world. God, judgment is, hear me clearly, there's a place where God says enough, but God's going to want to give Sodom as much time as possible, and God's desire, I think, is to give Lot as much time as he can to inf- so Lot can influence Sodom. I, I think that's what God's intent is. That's what this conversation is about. It's not about Abraham settling God down. It's about God saying, look, you've got to understand This is necessary sometimes. But I'm going to wait as long as I can. I'm going to wait as long as I absolutely can. And and it's the end of the chapter. When the Lord had finished speaking with Abram, he left, and Abram returned home. Either next week or the week after, um, we'll we'll look at the next chapter. But what do we learn? Let me just draw this together, and we'll close it up. But again, what do we learn? First of all, there is a point where God says enough. I believe that God is full of love and grace, but there is a place where God says enough. God does not want us to have to live in a world of sin and death and brokenness and infection forever. And one day God will say all the infection must be done away with and there will be judgment, okay? That we just have to understand that, friends. And if that doesn't give us some urgency in being witnesses, if that doesn't give us some urgency in bringing God's presence into this world, then we don't understand the reality of that. Again, There's a place where God says enough. God's desire is to give sinners as much time as he can to give us, for those of us who have siblings or kids who are walking away from the faith, we can understand that. Say, God, don't come. I want you to come back when I see all the brokenness, but don't come back until my son comes to know you. Don't come back until my sister comes to know you. And God's desire then is to give us as much time as he can to influence the world. It's never fun to think about judgment, and I don't think it should be. Again, I think sometimes there are Christians who celebrate God's judgment, who say, this is great. God is going to get those people. Friends, there but for the grace of God go we. And our hearts, like Abraham, should break. For those who don't know Jesus... And we need to be the carrier of grace as best we can. And we need to be here a place of grace where people who are far from God can experience his love and his acceptance because judgment is coming. Let's pray together. Father, this is difficult. We don't, we, we do, and, and you're, we love your heart of love and we're so thankful for that without it we would be dead. Father, you've also said it's clear that there's a time when you have to say enough. And in some ways, we long for that day. We long for the day when, when there will be no more death and pain and mourning. But in other ways, 
that day is gonna, it's gonna be a day of judgment. Maybe for some people we love. So Father, we don't understand how that's gonna work. We don't know what the percentages are. We, we don't wanna play those games. We just pray, Lord, that, that you'll give us hearts of compassion for those who don't know you. Father, first we just pray that you'll purify us Help our hearts to be completely devoted to you. And then help us to bring your grace into this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction? Again, I apologize for the time, but it was kind of a big topic. So, um, again, if you want to pray with somebody after the service, they'll be over there. If you have any questions about the sermon, Daniel is there, and he'll answer them. (laughs) People of God. As we go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ goes with each and every one of us, and may we live in God's grace. Amen.